You need to get ready for growth. I mean, if you're not ready for growth, you will not grow. So you have to make sure that the organization you put in place, you really understand for 80% very clearly what are the activities which need to happen to grow. Then you organize those activities in a growth way and a mindset. You give these people a mindset and a mentality, and you also give them a framework. And that framework should not be one for risk mitigation only. It should be a framework designed for growth. From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Patrick Lammers, Chief Operating Officer for Customer Solutions at Eon, a German-based multinational energy provider serving more than 50 million customers throughout Europe. Like every other major European utility, Eon is facing formidable challenges. They're simultaneously grappling with supply chain disruptions, a continental energy crisis, and the need to decarbonize while maintaining access and affordability for their customers. Lemmer sat down with Sasha Lehman, a partner in our Hamburg office, to explain how he's taking on these challenges by establishing a growth philosophy throughout their organization. They'll discuss how Eon is setting up a growth-centered organizational framework, creating diverse teams with new talent to encourage fresh thinking, and continuously looking for opportunities to automate important parts of Eon's value chain. We're sharing today's episode as part of an ongoing collaboration with our growth marketing and sales practice on the topic of growth strategy. It's the first episode of a new podcast called C-Suite Growth Talks, which will feature conversations with leading executives about how they're successfully choosing growth by aligning around a shared mindset, strategy, and capabilities. We've included links to the podcast and transcript of the conversation, as well as a recent article on this topic, Choosing to Grow, in the show notes for this episode. Now, here's Sasha. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for joining us in the show today. Thanks for having me, Sasha. Can you tell our listeners a little about your background, the work you do at E.ON, and what growth actually means to your organization? Yeah, um, I'm glad to do. I won't go too far back, but it's always interesting to have a bit uh, on the conversation on where you come from uh, and what kind of journey you made, because uh, that is also growth. So I started as an engineer in the refinery, worked for Shell 15 years, then did uh, all sorts of work there, ranging from product knowledge, product development into trading, into, uh, let's say, business development, uh, M&A, uh, and all that good stuff. So, uh, I mean, 15 years of that, I'm actually very well trained. Um, a lot of experience, given, given the opportunity for you to grow yourself as well, and actually uh, grew some businesses from nothing, like small-scale powering, Africa, Middle America, Asia. Um, I went to another a few other companies. I did a startup uh, for, let's say, emission uh, fluids. Uh, then I went to be the uh, CEO of Dyson PLC, which is not the Hoovers, but it was an industrial conglomerate, which was actually in very big difficulties. So I did the workout, and then your namesake, Lehman Brothers, happened. So then it became even more challenging. Yeah, um, and uh, then afterwards I went uh, actually. Um, to go to Powerhouse, which was a part of Ascent, which was done both subsequently with RWE. And then we had all the corporate stuff happening, uh, you know, energy was split out of RWE, subsequently was bought by Aeon. And now after a couple of years, I came to the board of Aeon. So quite a journey at Aeon. I'm responsible for all the operations, but also all the strategic stuff around customer solutions, which means anything which is not regulated is actually in my area ranging from e-mobility, e-mobility infrastructure, all the way 
through customer solutions, which actually people call for electricity and gas, all the way up to infrastructure solutions, which we do, let's say, city centers, uh, decarbonization, and, and that sort of stuff, but also at people's home, where we provide services uh, like insulation, like heat pumps, solar, whatever. I mean, the whole thing, we actually cover the value chain. Yeah, let's let's begin also with your commitment to sustainable growth as as Eon, right? I think you mentioned it, but but just to to again repeat the magnitude uh, of uh, of change that is happening in your organization. We're talking about the la one of the largest operators of networks of infrastructure in Europe, of yep. energy infrastructure. We're talking about 50 million end customers, B2B customers and B2C customers you're serving. And I recall a discussion that we recently had about the purpose of Eon. And I think uh, in, in many situations, purpose is hard to define. You have lots of discussions, but uh, we realized that actually the role that Eon has to play uh, in the energy transition is so huge that you don't, and so clear that you don't even need to discuss about what the purpose of this uh, of this company uh, actually is. And uh, I think that said, maybe you can elaborate a bit on. Uh, on Eon's commitment to sustainable growth, uh, how it how it happened in the last 10 years, uh, as you already mentioned on your in your previous stations, but also where do you see this going uh, in the light of the energy crisis and in light of all the the challenges related to the energy transition? Yeah, and I think thanks for the question because I, I try not to make it a too long answer. Let's have a conversation about it because. It did start last year around this time when we saw actually the supply chain interruptions and invest interruptions of, of, of COVID hitting actually the market. We were already looking really at some uh, values of debt already on pricing in the markets, liquidity. Uh, so we were all getting together. And then obviously uh, the Ukraine crisis, or just call it what it is, the war, which the Russians have started, I mean, exacerbated everything. So I don't have to sit in a circle with my people and put stickers on the wall on what is our purpose and how do we get there and what should we do? I mean, people calling us nowadays in panic, in sheer panic on how to pay the bill. They don't know how to pay the bill anymore. So you have people who were, let's say, Joe Sixpack, who used to pay, let's say, 200 euros a month, is now going easy to a thousand. And that's well beyond the buying power of these families. That's well beyond the normal 8% a year, whatever, from the net income already we're spending. So on that part of the purpose, you know, we need to make sure we decarbonize as quickly as possible, but also within, of course, the boundaries of what people can afford. And this affordability, the sustainability, and now security supply, which we have to do our bit in as well as Aon, that's the three big things that we are standing on. And we had our strategy coming together after we have uh, taken over energy. I mean, we're talking about the purge, we're talking about mainly decarbonization. The other two things are as important, and we can't let go of decarbonization because if we don't do that, we will drive us in the hands more of Russia dependence or other states, which are not very friendly to democracy. Uh, and, and, you know, our Europe arena is our catchment area. Thanks for sharing these these insights. I think next to growth, I think it's it's important to note that uh, for an energy player at, at the size of Eon, it is important that also other facets and other elements of this growth equation are in place. Maybe still, I think something uh, related to the energy transition. Can you give some examples about growth uh, in uh, in areas outside the core commodity business that you've been embarking on over the last couple of months? I mean, if you take on the on the back of an envelope, do some calculation on how many petrajoules now people are burning in cars in Europe. 
on uh, petrol or diesel uh, and you put it into kilowatt hours, it's it's huge. It's going to be huge. And it's not going to be there overnight. And people, of course, have to buy an electrical vehicle. But what you see is, uh, and I, my times being in Shell, uh, if the B2B segment goes over to immobility and you really want to bite off your fair share of the customers we have, we really need to do something else than just saying we go into infrastructure and we are a me too player or we invest fully ahead. So where we look at is very clearly at the market earning potential. So what's out there in the market? When is it coming and how fast is it coming? What are the vectors here? And then look very critical at what's our maximum earning capacity. So what do we have in-house in content, in capability, in capacity, in skill and competences, which is growth as well, to really bite off more than a fair share of that market earning potential and to make sure we deliver that to our customers in a way that is better than our competitors. And that's not very easy. And how do you do that? First of all, making very clear what is that market earning potential, make very clear where are we standing and is it good enough? Well, it isn't uh, because that's where you have to start. And then actually work with people get different points of view in, also get cross-pollination in from actually new entrants, from people who are already working somewhere, who you can let join Aeon. Because in Aeon, obviously, you have to be very honest, we have been doing this for 100 years, delivering gas and electricity to people. Uh, and it was, of course, a state monopoly in many countries where we are. And that's all now a market. So a lot of DNA of the company still feel that they have a sort of entitlement and that's what you need to change to make sure the sense of urgency, the purpose, but also let's say the modesty to understand where you are and how to really build with content your organization. And time and time I've always said, I want my people to be knowledgeable and to know what their content is about. That also means for the leadership that you need to know. If you don't know, you don't do. And those who know, they do. And I think this is the big difference, which I've been bringing into in the past into the other parties where I was, and now I'm bringing it into Aon. Yeah, let's thank you, and let's stay on this topic for for a couple more minutes. I think two two related questions to this one. So as uh, as Eon is planning and, and strategizing to invest a lot into the energy transition uh, and, and related business areas, can you say a few words about investors and, and capital markets demand towards uh, towards Eon uh, in that space? And the second build question is um, actually with all these demands, how do, can you actually make sure that you balance the immediate business needs? Yeah, Maybe selling electricity, selling gas and, and, and purchasing it uh, beforehand. Uh, the, the long-term pursuit of growth with these new business areas, how do you balance those? Yeah, I will obviously talk now about stuff which is in the public domain. Yeah, So uh, I won't give any secrets away uh, on, on the insides of the, uh, let's say, the internals of our financial stuff. But it's very clear if you look at uh, the horizon, eh, if, I, if I will call that the CAPEX horizon, um, and I compare that to what's up out there in energy transition land and what's in the different segments of the value chain of energy coming towards us, uh, I think it's it's untenable that we do this by ourselves. It's just not, we cannot, even if I would have all the money, I can't spend it. Uh, because I don't have the people for it. I don't have the equipment for it. Uh, there's long waiting times and that sort of stuff. So you really have to balance where you make the biggest, biggest bang for the buck and therefore then then have sort of impact. Um, so that's one of the things. And one of the things we do, 
um, and, and probably some people, if you go on, let's say uh, Google and you will, you will get it out. It's like with uh, uh, FFI Australia or we have a test from, from Belgium. You know, we look for partners. We look for partners upstream. We look, let's say, for our strengths midstream and downstream and combine that and actually then put leverage on it and to see where we can make the first impact and actually decarbonize and give security supply against affordable prices for big customers. Because we don't want to have Europe deindustrialize. You know, we want to keep the industry where it is and be be part of it. And if you say, okay, how do you get the money then, Patrick, and how do you trade it off? I think it's actually, if you do this very pragmatic, Sasha, so you can't actually say, I go from one end and I leave all my customers behind and I go only for the new stuff because either it's not there yet or you have a real, let's say, gap to bridge and you need to keep on cash flow or you need funding to keep growing. So, I mean, it's a, it's a fine line. You have to balance it. But I don't think it's that difficult because if you actually have your house in order, then you make money with this business and then you can actually spend the money. Maybe you even get a bit more debt or you take a bit more equity out uh, you have partners and you you really know where you want to spend the money so that money is well spent and it starts earning pretty quickly i mean the thing in energy transition is that people look so much forward and especially in sustainable energy where people say well the cost is all up front and then it's years for uh, power for free um it becomes really 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 important to see what kind of value you extract from those investments and how fast the money is coming back. And now in this new world where you're, you're, you're saying money is not for free anymore, uh, which is actually a good thing, I think, because all this quantitative easing brings a lot of risk with them, which we're now seeing in, in exacerbated by the Ukraine crisis, obviously. Um, but I mean, it makes you also think, where do I spend my money? How do I spend my money? And if I spend my money, am I the one who's operating that budget in a project, in equipment, procurement, construction, Am I the best in, let's say, commissioning it? Am I the best in getting the first money out? And if you are, you will survive. If you're not, you're going to struggle. So for me, it's, it's let's say, unacceptable when we start half-hearted project or we have people on them which we're not sure they can deliver it. You need to be sure of stuff. And uh, you triggered me with house and order, apparently. House and order, uh, maybe you can say a few words. Uh, I know there's a cooperation between Eon and, and Harvard Business School. Um, you actually not only in the, in the last couple of, of years uh, actually developed a program uh, that looks not only into the top line, bottom line and valuation aspects of growth, but into a more holistic dimension of growth, i.e. growing uh, the, um, the employees, developing capabilities, developing talent, um, and also developing a, what you call and refer to as a business system uh, in, a, in a very structured way. So maybe you can say a few words about yeah. what this is, what house and order actually means, and what has it all to do with the energy transition? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to ask the, the, the listeners here, the, uh, of course, uh, highly valued uh, audience, to go into Harvard Business School website and then look for the two business cases on Uh, ascent from a state-run company into a commercial company. And where it all started was actually managing a crisis whereby market was deregulated, getting new entrants, and, you know, a company which I led had absolutely no idea what to do with it. They didn't know what it was to sell. They didn't know what it was to service on a certain level. Customers were called a connection or a mutant and not a customer. And they had no idea what was a customer experience. But more importantly... 
I dispassionately discussed this with the people. And I never asked the why questions. We had five magic questions, which were what's the root causes? What are the mitigating actions? When are you back on target? Where do you need help? And how is it going to arrive? And um, that was so successful because you depersonalize uh, defensive systems in embracing a way of working, which is then becomes a business system because you have a certain way of how to get a root cause. You have a certain way how to get, let's say, a problem solved by Kaizens or even we call them turbo Kaizens and that sort of stuff. And you actually, again, content-wise, you really teach people how to conduct their business in such a way that um, it becomes always very efficient and effective. And uh, we can talk much longer about it. You know, we have sometimes uh, online or even in person, we have, let's say, we teach people who, who study at Harvard Business School. Um, and why is the business system? Because I stole it from Danaher. Uh, it's a great company, which I admire. Um, the CEO of the, at that time, CEO Larry Culp, uh, went to GE. So he's trying to do that there, over there as well. But Danaher, I think we've done it uh, really at a high level. And therefore, we now call it the Aeon business system. And we're rolling it out throughout uh, uh, the company because you want to have standardized work procedures because it cuts out the waste. You don't spend attention to, to non-value processes because that's, that's hindering your growth, by the way. Um, and, and the other part, obviously, is uh, it becomes very recognizable for the uh, markets. And you want to be recognizable for the markets because they see in, in such a way, obviously, uh, uh, value creation, which is growth as well. well. What do you think about when we talk about growth? Um, um, if you if you need to balance a bit the growth and the core and the core of the business, selling electricity and selling gas um, versus adjacencies versus new business areas, uh, how has that changed over time and where do you see it going? Well, I mean... There are obviously always throughout the years different management theories about it. Some people say we do totally separate. So other people say, no, our, my own people have to do this themselves as well. And we do internally a huge company and then we see how successful we are. And there are, uh, there are different colors to it. Um, how I see it, you need to get ready for growth. I mean, if you're not ready for growth, you will not grow. So you have to make sure that the organization you put in place, you really understand for 80% very clearly what are the activities which need to happen to grow. Then you organize those activities in a growth way and a mindset. You give these people a mindset and a mentality, and you also give them a framework. And that framework should not be one for risk mitigation only. It should be a framework designed for growth. So you give people space to maneuver. You give them corporate velocity so they can take very quickly decisions, and you give them trust. But then also, you inspect what you expect. You look into it, and you make it yours. That means that as a leader, even in C-suite, you need to role model. You need to be part of that fabric where it grows. Um, this is the way I look at it. Um, have we been then simultaneously linear growth everywhere in Europe? No. Uh, and some you, you see that the reality is, is much harder, and you need more work on it to get it going, because what you have to get You have to get it in motion. So it's sort of a flywheel starts, then people get enthusiastic because it's all people have to do it. They have to convince the customers. They have to set up new structures. They have to set up new organizations, all for growth. 
And you see places where actually they outperform everything. They get into hybrid products with financing products with it, like in Italy. I mean, we outgrown the market. We're market leader in future energy home, we call it. Like we do full renovations of, of, of houses, which actually after we've been there, uh, fully financed by the bank and we get the subsidies in, uh, people have a CO2 neutral house and are completely self-sufficient, which is obviously uh, where we are working towards. And you have different speeds because you have also different talents around and you have to accept it. So, Patrick, one one very provoking question, if I may. Um, well, you you always do that. So, so that's um, fine. As you took over, let's say this uh, this position uh, one year ago, what would you think? Uh, did you do different from other leaders? Maybe not uh, not leaders in Eon, but leaders in the industry, in order to really make a difference in, in growth and fostering growth. Yeah. First of all, I think what is very important. What I actually. And you don't speak about what you don't like to see. Yeah. You speak about what you like to see. That's first of all. And what you agree you want to see altogether. Um, and what you do differently. I think what I do differently is I make very clear what is the future picture. And I make this as clear as possible. And I make it an exciting one and not a daft, dull one or one only made by, by consultants. Then, um, I think I make it very clear what is the program we're going to run to get there, what is the freedom of maneuvering you have in there, and what's our agenda. And we tick it actually very, very structurally off. But also, I think, which you cannot grow the company if you are yourself not involved, and if you don't grow your organization in many ways, in many aspects, you will not get growth because they need to do something different than they've ever seen before in their frame of reference. And therefore, you need a diverse team. You need newcomers in. That's what I do differently. I always look at at least 50% newcomers in because I want these different perspectives in. And I go in myself. Um, and I also listen to everybody. You have to make an elevated speech. If they can't make it simple, they have not understand it. And I won't get any growth. I only get bureaucracy. That's what people lean towards, too, because they look for safety. There are no safe havens, um, and there's also very direct conversations. So what I think I do differently, I don't wait until the end of the year to make a conversation if somebody is good enough for the job. You get that with me every month. So if you're talking about future energy home, electromobility, these are big topics. Well, I would even argue that these topics are too big for single institutions. So the energy transition in itself is too big for, for one, two, or ten companies Any views on that one, on uh, managing partners and, and building ecosystems and how important that is uh, as you want to grow? I mean, I think you're spot on. I mean, if you, if, if you, say, if you think you can, ver can convert all your customers towards energy transition and it's all done by you, you, you're completely mad. If all our customers would call me this year and to tell me I want to decarbonize, I would be unable to do this in the coming 10 years. It's just not true. So you have to industrialize and you have to scale up more and all those stuff. And these are not always things by nature you have in your teams everywhere. So you need to look for partners in the value chain who outperform you in the value chain and make them your partner because you have something which outperform as well in that value chain. And marry those up means that you have to be involved, means that you have to get out there yourself 
and understand it. Get out there yourself with the partners and work these things up. So once they hit the ground, they can start running on their own. But you have to put your own real big ambition and skin in the game in. Otherwise, it will not work. You can't institutionalize that. It is about personal role modeling. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thinking a bit about Eon and its strategy, and I won't go too much into detail because that value chain of the energy sector was kind of split between uh, many companies in the past, even even with M&A and divestment decisions that have, have been taken. Uh, and regulation. And regulation. So my question would be, what does the energy transition, the Ukraine crisis, and, and the, uh, let's say, the desire to further grow mean for that value chain focus or for corporate strategy uh, at Eon? At, at our value chain, we really look, um, well, let me formulate it a bit differently. I mean, if you take the full integrated value chain, I think it's, uh, it's uh, changed a lot by Ukraine crisis. Because some of them make a ton of money. Some of them completely lost their shirt. And, and, and we, we look at, for instance, uh, uh, competitors or were not even competitors who were former parts of Aeon who are completely blown out of water and taken over by the government. And you have different examples of that. You have now price caps, you have wholesale caps, you have all sorts of windfall taxes, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a new framework or tightening from the borders of your framework, which you have to deal with. That agility to really understand what does that mean on my model and on my business model, and actually then putting the company into a new course or parts of the company into the course to really cope with it and actually look for the opportunity of this because It's a mental model. You can either say it all changed and it gets more difficult, or you say, hey, it changed. So where does it open up for opportunity? And I think that's entrepreneurism. And corporate entrepreneurism can be very dangerous, but I feel I always see the opportunity and I look at the market earning potential. And some of the market earning potential just has come forward very quickly. And where we had to, let's say, pursue some of the contracts where it was borderline clear with Russian cheap gas, now these these business cases are very healthy, very healthy for anybody to step into. Uh, and therefore, I think if you look in the value chain where we have to see to get our equipment, to get the people who actually do the engineering, do, who actually do the mounting or stuff, I mean, that's really, really giving us some different challenges, um, but they're in the same value chain. And I think where the area where we are, We really have to look for healthy partners who can co-invest and actually then bring that energy transition on an industrialized way at people's doorstep. Because that's what they're expecting in the end from us. Uh, thanks for these for these perspectives. I think in the end, this podcast is also about, let's say, giving a bit of advice or at least some examples and, and hints for, for other leaders uh, on, on how they could actually embark on, on similar growth journeys, right? So I think what... Uh, What I would ask you to share is, uh, is a bit with that in mind, um, any advice that you have for, for other leaders, maybe in similar situations, maybe in, uh, in less stressed industries, uh, compared to the, to the energy sector. What would be guidance to them on, on do's? So what should they do more of? Uh, and maybe what they should also not do. So what is dysfunctional behavior? If you actually want to foster growth, maybe just a couple of thoughts from you. Okay. Without, I mean, I need to be modest, obviously, because I think there are a lot of great people out there who do, who do fantastic jobs because we still have a functioning society. Uh, so therefore, I would like to be a bit modest with, let's say, advice or guidance given to people. Uh, what I would actually, what a, a do would be, is to fully be aware that time is not on your side. 
I mean, by this whole Ukraine crisis in Europe, we have no more time. And on the other hand, we have, let's say, a clear vision on how much time do we have to get out of Russian gas and to be independent, but you will, we all live at a different price level. So my guidance would be, if you get into new projects or you have to really uh, adjust your framework, start with looking at your people. Who are the people who can really do it? They really proven it. Do not think you can have people who can do half it. And you have to make yourself sure that you find the people who can do it. That's one. Second, keep your perspective to the outside, not only the inside. On the inside, it's only a very small world. The world outside is much bigger and there's much more to learn from other companies and cross-pollinated into your thinking. Um, and I think that's a really important look outside. And um, really look at your money. Cash is king at this sort of thing. So, And not only you, but everybody in the company should be aware of what is our business costing to run it and how can we do it better? Because in the end, money talks. And especially when money is not for free anymore, cash will be king very quickly. And the turnaround of cash will be very, very important. And that's not just crisis management. I believe that's just very, very good housekeeping and getting your house in order um, so you don't lose out on waste. Um, and that's a bit of, let's say, don't do it. Don't accept waste. Don't accept a nuisance. Don't accept politics. And don't accept people giving each other narratives uh, instead of actually getting in there and working for the customer. So, Patrick, we've been touching uh, on uh, growth in, in the core, in the core of the business of energy, uh, and we're also talking a lot about scaling in new areas, right? Can you can you say a few more words? Because I think it's special in energy because it somehow belongs together. Can you say a few words on um, what is required in the core of your business, um, and and what then building on that uh, is is possible when you scale in new areas? I think it's um, actually not magical. I think in the core of the business, you cut out the ways you don't actually uh, um, spend a lot of time on things that doesn't really bring any value to the customer. And you relentlessly look for opportunities to automate um, and to do activation of the right parts of your value chain. And we did this, for instance, in a couple of countries where we had the activation rooms um, where we had a end-to-end -end overview for everybody. So all of the people in the value chain now get connected without hierarchy. And I saw enormous growth because, for instance, we really were targeting the customers we want. And we were also targeting the customers with different instruments we actually didn't like in the beginning uh, because they were not paying or, or, or that sort of stuff. So it's a much better way connecting all the way from sourcing all the way down to delivery. I mean, that has been a really a perfect uh, uh, example of growth. Then I would like to mention another one. Um, if you look at uh, uh, what we did in Italy, Future Energy Home, where we actually took the opportunity of subsidies of the government, where we looked at, okay, our partners, how can we deliver full renovation of a house and make it carbon-free, uh, security supply, and affordable? We, we actually uh, went out and we said, okay, this is the value proposition we make. This is the customer journey we offer. And these are the instruments which are in there. For instance, our instruments on gas, not anymore, but electricity, then the instruments of uh, solar panels, heat pump, airco, wallbox for e-mobility, et cetera. And then with a partnership with a bank, making sure we also have a financial proposition whereby it immediately flies, backed up by the government with the subsidy screen. 
I mean, that made us market leader in Italy. And really also, if we will get that more across to our uh, investors, you know, therefore the money markets, we will get much bigger multiples than we now see for this business because the business system we have actually enabled here made us into a winner. Nobody has done that end-to-end and this whole end-to-end steering really gives you that upside over your competition because they have to organize, orchestrate, you know, all these different moving parts whereby in our case, it was one end-to-end journey. And I think if you think always end-to-end over the value chain, first segment of the value chain, what's the depth of my value or even the higher I can get? And I mean, if you trade that all off, I think then you're a master of your also of your own fate in all of this. So Patrick, I'm curious, what is the the most important lesson you, you learned as a leader? Ooh, I mean, I hope I learned many lessons. Otherwise, you can't be a complete person. But uh, I think as a leader, uh, you're a human being. And if you can't uh, be a human being by doing some sort of leadership stuff, it's really daft. So my biggest lesson is to stay authentic, human being, understanding other people. You can also... And then imagine what for the receiving end it is uh, or other parties if you stand in their shoes. Um, so I think that's my, my biggest lesson. Patrick, thanks a lot for, for sharing your, your personal insights and also your professional insights. Much appreciated. Thanks for taking the time today. You're very much welcome. Many thanks to both Patrick and Sasha for today's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. And we thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. Or you can share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player. Thank you to all our listeners who've already reached out and rated and reviewed our podcast. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please keep them coming. If you'd like to listen to additional episodes, we encourage you to subscribe on your podcast player where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. You can also visit our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com ITSR, which includes written transcripts of more than 120 past episodes. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up on our Practice Insights page on mckinsey.com SCF, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room. <laughs>